Hi, welcome to Breaking the Mould. I'm your host, Jacob Hill, and we are very privileged to have as our guest today, Pastor Joel Shalaya, the Senior Pastor of Centrepoint Church and the State President of the Australian Christian Churches in Western Australia. Let's jump right into the conversation. Hi, welcome to Breaking the Mould. We're here with our guest, Pastor Joel Shalaya, who's just done some amazing stuff across the state of Western Australia, but also across Australia. But we're just going to jump straight into the conversation and um, we, we just get to know uh, get to know Pastor Joel. So, How you going, Jacob? Uh, you're really, really good. Uh, thanks. Um, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. I know that you're a busy guy and uh, probably busier than most and probably busier than what most people can even understand what busy is. So I really, really uh, value that you've stopped and... Uh, and taking time to meet with us today. So. Well, look, it's a pleasure, mate. It's a, a real honour to be able to share. Cool. So uh, you're like the epitome, really, I think, in my mind, of someone who's broken the mould. Like you, um, for those that don't know who Pastor Joel Shalaya is, he's uh, he pastors a really an amazing church, Centrepoint Church. They're a multi-campus. Uh, so how many sites do you actually have at your church? Like how many different, effectively, churches do you run? Yes, so we have three locations at this point, Bibber Lake, Mannington and Bifid, but we also are starting a fourth one in the uh, city of Quinana. So really excited about that for 2020. Yeah, wow. So how many people do you have coming along on a, like, I don't know, on, on any given Sunday or how many people, or how many people are in your church? Um, on, a, on a Sunday and a, or a weekend, we would see about 700 people in attendance uh, throughout the three campuses and probably about 1,200 people would consider Centrepoint Church uh, their home church. Well, that's like so much responsibility. <laughs> but if, <laughs> if that wasn't enough responsibility, uh, now you are the, uh, the the state president of the Australian Christian Churches. So that's the, uh, that's the denomination that my church is a part of. And uh, we're actually the second largest denomination in Australia. And That's like, right. There's 86 churches that are in our movement in WA, and you are effectively the boss of all of them. Uh, so yeah. it's sort of my <laughs> sort of my boss here as well. <laughs> so, Look, um, it's, definitely, it's definitely an honour to, to lead the ACC. Uh, you're right; it is the second largest movement in the nation, and in WA, there's about 32,000 people that attend an ACC church. So uh, it's just a privilege to be able to partner with the pastors that lead these thousands of people. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that you learn pretty fast, especially uh, in, in the, you know, in ministry leadership, but I think leadership across the board, is uh, leading doesn't mean you, <laughs> you're at the top of the pecking order sort of thing. It seems like you're the, like, how did Jesus put it? You're the servant of all. Yeah. It's like, it, um, as much of it's a privilege and stuff, it's it's a, a huge responsibility, hey? Absolutely. Look, I think um, Christian leadership needs to be very, very different to leadership in, in business and secular organisations, purely because Jesus set the model for us when he said the greatest of these will actually be the one that serves them all. And uh, he modelled that whole lifestyle that we're actually not above everybody uh, we cover people in our leadership but it's through service and um, investing into people's lives that we actually do something great yeah so um i, I just would love like I, I i know a little bit about your journey but um only a little bit so how, how did you let's just start at the start how did you end up becoming a pastor of a church like it was can we start there like so we did were your parents did we raised in church um yeah we did we my family moved across from malaysia when i was seven years old and yeah. we came across immigrants that really didn't have any other uh friends uh, we had one other family member in australia we came across for a better education and um Along the journey, we just found ourselves uh, visiting a local church and where we lacked natural family, the church became our family. And um, that church uh, is still uh, going today. Uh, it's uh, I think called Kingdom City Cannonsdale at the moment. 
the way that those people loved us and looked after us and helped us to find family and our needs, it really did something in our lives and it also drew us closer to God. Um, at that church that I made a decision to serve Jesus Christ, I got baptised there, um, I started serving there, I started working in a church as a children's pastor there, my wife and I got married there, we had our children there. So, you know, the church has been um, just a central part of our history. And um, I always wanted to give back. Um, God has been so good to us and has blessed us through the church. And through the church, I wanted to be a blessing uh, to other people. And so that's probably how I, I found myself becoming a pastor. I was just serving people. And when a position in the church came up, my senior pastor asked me whether I could help in uh, as a volunteer. And then uh, as it started taking off, I was asked to come on staff as a pastor. So that was as a kid's um, pastor, like a junior church teacher, or for those that yeah. don't go to church too often. The, the, so that's where you started, just as, as a junior church teacher, and then you what started to lead that whole team? Yeah. And then, and then from there, they asked me to come on staff, and... I was 21 years old when I started ministry, so it's actually been uh, 21 years since that whole journey started on staff. Mm. And from there, I took on more responsibility. I went to Bible college, got trained, and uh, from there, led our own church. So you say like 21 years, but that, like, you add 21 and 21 together, that's still very young, 42. Like that's it. for someone that's sort of done as much as you've done at forty two, that's pretty remarkable. Um, so, well, so I, go on. I've, I've just been really honoured to be honest to serve. Uh, nothing much changes. You, you might serve differently in different places, but I guess it all comes down to serving still, whether it's serving five people or, or hundreds of people, thousands of people. Um, the core business remains the same. You know, it's all about people, and it's about helping people encounter God. I think, like, like I've, I fully agree with you from my experience there. But it, what I <laughs> there is like, even though you've got some fundamental similarities, you've got some fundamental differences serving like five to thousands. It's like, um, mm. you know, you, you the complexities that you would you would be experiencing as you know our national as our state president would be stuff that people couldn't even wrap their heads around. Like, you know, that's. And um, I is I remember you saying like how how intimidating you found it when you were first invited to, to like apply for the position or to to nominate for the position of the state president. How old you were young? Hey, you like how how old were you then? Yeah, I think I was uh, thirty. Hold on, it's been seven years. I'm forty-two, thirty-five. Gosh, what? have we ever had a president that young before? No, I don't think we have. Has any of the states ever had a president that young? Uh, I don't think so. No, I think I could be one of the youngest in history. Wow. Uh, Which is is a great honour because, you know, um, I'm leading people that have been in church leadership for longer than I've been alive and be believed in and championed by so many great people. uh, It's really a huge honour for so I, I remember when you first when you first took over, um, like, and obviously you know from I'm just listening to you different times. You talked about how um, you uh, you felt like overwhelmed and like are you sure God this is for me or you know to the people that sort of were nominating you are you sure you want us to do it? But I remember when you stepped in, uh, like actually just feeling a big shift in our movement, and I think that's when Melissa and I really felt started to feel connected. Just the and maybe it's like maybe because you're more our generation and you do things the way that we engage with better, but really feeling mm. like we belonged in our church, you know, was we felt accepted and part of things. But um, I, I just I'm curious for you know people who you know we we I think a lot of the time we turn down promotion, um, whether we turn it down that's when it's offered point blank or whether we can see an opportunity or a a door open or. I don't know whether it might be to go and study again or to uh, apply for a promotion or you know those different things, and we sort of shut ourselves down by saying no, you're not qualified, or you. How did how did you navigate that massive jump? 
Yeah. Look, I, I think every single person feels unqualified and, and we sort of fake it to make it type thing. <laughs> I remember when I was asked um, to consider taking on the state president role by my previous state president and, you know, I asked him for six months uh, to pray about it and think about it and, and that's really ridiculous because I, <laughs> I really knew within a, a minute of him asking me um, whether I should do it or not, but I was just so petrified to say yes because I felt like if I do it, I was going to wreck the whole movement and um, make such big mistakes that, you know, it would just destroy the whole thing. So I, I, even though I knew straight away the answer should have been yes, I was hoping in the six months uh, that I would pray about it that somehow that answer would change or somebody else would put their hand up and take on that role. Or, God would change you know, his mind. <laughs> that's right, God would change his mind. Uh, unfortunately, none of those things happened. Oh, so you uh, had the six months, you waited for that six months before you agreed to it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was actually about to ask for another six months. Oh, no. <laughs> the truth is, the truth is, um, if you say no when you should be saying yes, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. Yeah. And um, you're never going to feel uh, qualified, never going to feel like you know everything enough to do the job. And if you did, then that's a real problem, especially because if you're stepping up to do something that you've never done before, you yeah. should feel unqualified. And, and there's, a, there's a step of faith and risk that you need to step out on it. And uh, as long as you're feeling, you know, God say yes, even if you're scared, I think you need to learn to do it scared. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like what you're saying. Like if you, like, you know, if you're feeling like you've got, you're all over it, then there's actually like, it's probably alarm bells go off right there. I'm just seeing the different yeah. times when I've said, oh, no, I'll be able to do this with my eyes shut or, you know, I, like you might know the theory or large, large portions of, you know, the responsibility, but, um, there's nothing you you can't really know a role like that until you're actually doing it, can you? Anyway, that's right. Or until you've done it and, before, and it's never what you think it's going to be either. So yeah. <laughs> you might say to being something, and then of course um, that role changes and and the circumstances change, and so everything is fluid. But you know, I've always told myself that if I feel God say do something, even if I don't like the idea, I'll do my very best to say yes. Mm. Uh, and also in the, in the tough times when you feel like you want to quit, if you've had a clear word from God that says do it, you can stand on that through the circumstances. And so um, that's what I did. I said yes, and it's been an amazing ride, lots of, lots of high, high points, uh, also lots of challenging points that uh, have really grown me as a person, as a Christian, and also um, it's, it's been a wonderful experience, and I'm so glad I said yes. So what you're saying, like, it's not always what you expect or part, like, so what, what did you think it was going in? Like, because you were on the state executive team already? Yeah. So you, you had, like, at least a, a gauge of it. So what, what did you expect? What did you think it was going in? And then what did you find? What were the differences, I guess, that you experienced when you actually put the shoes on? Sure. So I, I think um, being a leader of a, a church movement uh, may seem glamorous, but it's like a police officer. Most times, the only time people will call you is when something bad is happening in their churches or in the community. That's when they call, you know, uh, the leader of the denomination to come in and help out. So, you know, I knew that I was there to help people through their tough times. Uh, I, I have been delighted by the fact that uh, even through the good times, because we've built so many relationships and friendships with the pastors in our movement, that we've also been invited to celebrate the good times. But I also get great joy in being able to bring some help in a time when uh, maybe other people can't help. Mm. And so, you know, that's been an, an awesome privilege. Like to be able to like, lend your strength sort of thing. Yeah, look, when a church is going through a tough time, when a pastor is going through a tough time, to be able to come and bring support, wisdom, uh, help, 
uh, it, it's really powerful. And I know that not only are we helping that pastor, but we're helping that church, and the church is helping that community, and the community is changing the nation. So I, I think um, you know there's this brilliant privilege that we have in not only being there in the good times and the times of great celebration, but also in the valley moments because God can use you in the good and the bad. Mm. I think people that's what people tend to remember as well as like I know I one of the things I look back on is like who was with me in the hard times like who was you yeah. Know, yeah who would get into the trenches with you yeah and yeah I remember a little while ago uh you ringing me up and I was having a bit of a you know going through some challenges and you rang me up and like you know are you okay or yeah where you know where you at and I'm, I think it was after uh I think God called me to step down from leading our church and I didn't do it and just ran myself into the ground really um, before that was where I got my, you know, but that's where you get your, your heart, your word from God and you, you stand on it, but you train yourself to stand on it, don't you? And then, that's right. So, you had, so you've like had seasons of moving on and like, so you were in a church that just, you know, took you in, your family in, you come to a new country, you were fully immersed in that church and part of it and on the team there and then you stepped out to plant your church, uh, mm-hmm. Centerpoint, um, and I know you had the blessing of your pastor, Pastor David Stora, and and that, but still, it's it is stepping away. It is is finishing something and starting something new. How did you know it was time to go, and how did you navigate that change, that transition? <laughs> Good question. There, look, transition is never easy. Uh, I like things to be done uh, routinely, and. You know, it brings me a lot of comfort when I know what's going to happen tomorrow and the next month and the next year. But that's not life. And um, I actually thought that Sharon and I would be in that church for the rest of our lives. We love that church and we still do. Yeah. And the people. But one morning, about five in the morning, while I was still asleep in bed, God gave me a dream. Uh, in that dream, Sharon and I replanted this church in the city of Coburn. Uh, where I grew up, and I woke up from the dream. And I said to her, "Look, I think, I think God told me that we're supposed to plant a church." And my wife, you know, it was five in the morning. She woke up and she said, "Yeah, yeah, I know." And she turned around and went back to bed. <laughs> uh, and of course, I'm a buzz and thinking, "Oh my goodness, I've never even thought of this before." Yeah. Uh, this is across my mind. I could never leave my church. My whole world was spinning round and round and she was so comfortable and full of peace and, and she woke up and talked about it and she said, well, God, I've actually been speaking to her for the last two years about it, preparing. And, and that also talks to you about how God knows us so well. He knows her personality. He knows my personality. She needed two years to get her mind around it, get ready for it. I literally, within a couple of weeks, spoke to my senior pastor and said, look, what do we need to do to make this happen? This is what I'm feeling. Uh, God had spoken to him as well in that same season. And he said, look, I'll need you here for the next nine months to work yourself outside, out of the job. But also, I want to plant you out and build a team around you. And that's what they did. and gave us the very best people and finance to actually start our church. And if it wasn't for Pastor David's door and Sally's door, you know, uh, our church and the hundreds of people that come to our church, um, you know, would not have had the great start that we had. Yeah, it's a big difference starting like uh, starting strong and starting from scratch, isn't it? Like, because we, okay. I, yeah, because we started with um, like a like a small team, but we had a team though, and that was hard. But then you yeah. watch, watch people start from scratch, just with a couple or with one family, and you just yeah, it's, and then you watch guys, you know, starting with the intentionality that you guys did and where the whole church is get behind them and um you, you really sex like i don't know accelerate your, your church can't you by like by that those real strong starts yes yeah absolutely so what, what went through your head like what was the thought like you've grown up in this church you're in your mind you're there for the rest of your life and then god says like uh five o'clock in the morning uh right <laughs> no like how how do you what was like I don't know what was I don't know what emotionally what happened like where was your head at? Yeah, look, it, it, I was 
I was blown away. I, I do know that I really felt that it was God, but I was submitted to my senior pastor and, and the church leadership. So I brought it to them almost hoping yeah. they would say, no, you got it wrong. You know, that was just a pizza dream. <laughs> but um, the truth is when my senior pastor said, actually, God spoke to me on Sunday about that too. Mm. We just both cried, to be oh, honest, really? you know. It was just uh, scary and exciting and uh, a wonderful adventure. But the truth is, as I said before, if God says yes, you've got to say yes. Mm. You can't say no when God says yes. You miss out on all the adventure that life and that life is supposed to bring to you if you don't say yes to His call. And we felt so inadequate and unable to lead a church. You know, at that time, I was uh, 28 years old, 27 years old. Yeah. Um, we'd been married for four years. We had one child, expecting our second. You know, how uh, old was he? So that he gets how, how old was your your first your first son when when you? Our first, our first son was 18 months old. Gosh, still in nappies. And our second son was, you know, uh, hadn't been born yet, but Sharon was pregnant with him. Right. And uh, and that's when we started we're getting ready to plant the church. So, you know, um, if you look at it, you go naturally. I didn't have the experience. Mm. Naturally, you know, we had young children and probably should stay in a, a safe, supported position, you know, but we just felt like, we didn't want to miss the God opportunity and the risk. And it hasn't been easy, but can I tell you, I'm so glad we planted the church when God told us to, because uh, we've seen miracle after miracle, uh, and we're so grateful, you know, for His provision. Yeah. So as your church has grown and expanded, and then you've like you've come to a point where you're like, okay, we want to go and put another campus. For those that aren't familiar with that sort of term, like it's basically an another church that's part of your church but like to say okay yeah let's put a campus over here like where, where's the like did you did you see it modeled and think that's a great idea or and we could do that as well how did that sort of come about like that to take that because that'd be like, again is another huge risk and you're sending people out and um yes yeah, yeah. How, how did the, well, well yeah go on i think i think you have to work with with what you have I think that's the biggest thing. It's, it's not a good idea to go from one campus to another campus to a second campus. Mm. It's a lot of work. And if it's not a God idea, uh, it will not work. And I've seen that happen many, many times when people have tried to you know, stretch out and have a second campus or start a second church. It's, it's not worked well. So... Just because others are doing it and maybe even doing it well doesn't mean that you're supposed to. So you really need to know what God's calling you to, um, your, your style of leadership. For me, I personally have uh, what I believe to be a gift of leadership. And so I, I train leaders. I um, got to a stage in church, in fact, where I'm sitting down in church going, there's so many leaders, so many preachers, and so many pastors in our church, and yet there's not enough positions for them. Yeah. And so, what do I do? You know. And then we had this opportunity where we planted a church that wasn't doing too well and needed some new leadership, and they came and offered that church to us. And and I thought, wow, this is the solution. We've got so many people who could pastor and lead mm. uh, and preach. And now we would go from one location to two locations. Yeah. And that year, the Lord gave me just one word. Every time I prayed, he kept on saying the word double, double, double. And so I thought that was double the attendance or double the number of people that came to our church. And and that also happened that year, 2010. Um, but I didn't also know at that point that he meant double the location. Yeah. And when this church came into our hands, we prayed about it, and all of our elders said, hey, we've, believe, we've been believing double, 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 and we've been thinking too small. Double could mean 
taking on this location. And so we did. And uh, that was hard. It was, it was not easy. Um, in fact, I think for the first six months, I kept on thinking, what have I done? I think I've made a mistake. But, you know... Uh, well, was that just growing that, pains or the challenges do you just... Well, it's a stretch. It's a stretch. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, when you have one child, you know, I, I, this is the only way I can, I can describe it. When you have your first kid and, you know, you go, oh, my goodness, it's so hard. I can't yeah. sleep. I can't go to the bathroom. I've got this kid. And then you have the second child. And you go, oh, one child was so easy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got an <laughs> equation or something. Like, I figure like when we had one kid, it was like one hard. And then when our second one made it to like four hard, it was like the... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and, we, and so literally that's the only way I can say it. It, yeah, it, right. it wasn't a bad experience. But it's a stretch. I've got a stretch. It meant that I couldn't be at the location... You know, every week it meant that I had to trust other people with the pulpit and with the leadership. So from my, my side of looking in at you and how you do things, you come across to me as a really secure leader like and someone who's just more than happy to relate. Is that something that you've had to grow into? That Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think anyone starts off as a secure leader. I think everybody is insecure. Uh, I think I'm still insecure, but I'm working on it. Um, and I would say I've had to trust people more, even when people let you down, not stop trusting people, not stop taking the risk to let an inexperienced person make mistakes but still fall forward mm. um, and, uh, and keep giving people an opportunity to find their destiny and find their gift and find their talents, you know. So I, I, I want to release it, but I want to be known as a person that has released tens of thousands of people into their core, into their destiny. So I look back on my leadership and I'd say the biggest oh, hindrance to it would be insecurity. And I'm talking about uh, across the board, like you're talking about releasing people uh, like on that side of it, but also on receiving feedback on growing on asking for help all of those things so how did yeah. you what was like how, how did you I, I guess like go through that like how, how did you improve in the like yeah what was your I don't know I, I doubt there was a moment but you know what's the in a nutshell how, how was how were you able to grow it and just become that person who's able to like have two kids now three and coming up four kids you know like that you know as you've grown Insecurity. I think it's having a revelation that insecurity will keep you small. Mm. And so, you know, with that mindset, I am determined to deal with the insecure Joel Chalaya because if I don't deal with him, I won't live the full plan of death. That God has for me. I'm hearing you say that, and then I'm like, you know, trying to, you've, you've, you know, you've made this commitment, and you're recognizing that, but then you're saying how much you like to have things in order, and you know what's happening yeah. tomorrow. And like, <laughs> do you just like freak out, like, or, or, or did you go through a massive period of just like heavy freaking out, or? Oh, it still happens, Jacob. It still happens. It definitely happens on a weekly basis. But I just got to keep telling myself that I can't do this alone. The, the plan of God was never just one person leading this great church. It always required and always was team. Jesus built a team. Yeah, and then Jesus he built had a team. team. You know, first it was three, it was 12, then it was 40, then it was 72, then it was 120. Jesus was an awesome team builder. And when they came back and they were fighting each other and they were... Uh, teaching the wrong things and they, you know, were jealous of each other. He didn't stop. He didn't go, okay, you know, I'm not going to use you guys again. He just sent them out again. He taught them, he did them, he encouraged them, he discipled them, and it just got better and better and better. And you see the same pattern with David. The Bible says that when he was in the cave of Adelon, um, all these, these men came to him that were disgruntled. Yeah. And that, about that. You have his hands full. 
he took them and he made them into mighty warriors. And that's a long process yeah. of uh, allowing people to fail and make mistakes and uh, sometimes even hurt you. Mm. But then going, okay, I'm bigger than that. I see the, the diamond in you and uh, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to give you an opportunity. As long as somebody is teachable, as long as somebody is humble enough to learn, I think there's a huge future for them. It doesn't matter how, where they start, um, they've just got to be teachable. But if somebody is not teachable or humble, mm. I will not have them on my team. I'm very adamant about that. Yeah, I see. So you... As long as, long as they, because I one of the descriptions that I've always wrestled with is like a you know warn a divisive person once, warn them a second time, and after that have nothing to do with them, and mm. like, because can be assured that they're sinful and uh, they're uh, just uh, I can't remember basically they're crazy is essentially what it's saying, um, but that's one of the things I thought well that's not you know not real where's the grace or any you know I in my heart I was always given more chances and more chances but then we actually i realized that they're not some people are just committed to not moving forwards and you literally yeah. you're just wasting your time having those people on your investing into those people as a team like and then so you you basically as long as you can see that they've, they're willing to move you you've got time you'll just keep going through the um it's 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 like fathering really right you, you can't know? just get rid of your kids can you no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> you'd like to think you want them once, you want them twice, and then you yeah. cut them off. But you know, and you feel like that. But the truth is, you love them, you're committed to them, and yeah. you believe in them. But uh, the truth is, if they are not teachable and humble enough to grow, then that's their capacity. They have reached the maximum they can reach where they are right now. Mm. And so, you know, I'd rather take somebody that has low capacity but is humble and teachable and leave, lead them into something greater yeah. than somebody who has a medium to high capacity but is unteachable mm. because they've already reached their full potential. Yeah. Just sort of using this as a segue because you're talking about, I love how you're talking about it's like as being a father with, the, with your church, which I think as pastors, that's like, you know, I love how um, some nations i'll call their uh you know their pastors padre or father and you know you, you get that you can sort of see the symmetry between uh the style of leadership i guess uh to um but that's so being a father is something that you take really seriously um to those uh, listening pastor joel's got three boys how old are you are your oldest my eldest is about 16 uh, my 14 and Youngest one is twelve. Just graduated from primary school uh, last uh, last week. Oh wow! Congratulations, you're a primary school. Wow, that's but that's so that's something that you uh, and and just for those I don't know your kids well, but from the limited stuff I have had to do with them, they're like r lovely boys. They're like just really really good quality kids. Um, and so, something that you, uh, you've done as well, you're an author. You've written a book called The Chat, which I've for though it's it's talking about the chat, the chat that fathers have with sons. And um, I've used this book to take my sons through the chat. But what was your thinking like um, in writing it? You, well, well, I guess what was the um, yeah yeah. So you there wasn't a book called The Chat. Now there is one. Like how did that happen? Yeah, okay. Well, when my boys were, my eldest was seven years old, so about nine years ago, um, you know, he started to ask a lot of questions about his body and, and about sex and, you know, and uh, so I thought I, I wanted to be the first voice to shape um, thoughts on healthy sexuality. And so as a Christian, I went trying to find as many books as I could that really dealt specifically for boys because at seven years old, I didn't want to give you too much stuff about the girls because, yeah. you know, life is going to wait in love before the right season. So I was looking for a book specifically for boys that was biblically based that actually opened the conversation for fathers so that uh, whenever their kids grow up and have future questions, they don't want to come back to their dad that the dads could almost have a conversation and, and become the expert in that area um, 
for their sons to come to. Mm. And of course, most dads don't know what to say and, and, and how to approach the subject. So uh, after not finding any resource available, I decided to write my own. And basically, it was answering all the questions that my boys had about sex, about puberty, about marriage, uh, and about what God says about all of that in a way that was contemporary, child-friendly, uh, and um, specifically written for boys. Mm. And so, yeah, the chat came up, and uh, I'm really proud of how it's, it's sold across Australia. It's about to be published in Singapore. It's got its own website now, so people can just buy it online and, and deliver it to their door. Um, and basically, it's an opportunity for fathers and sons to have a healthy conversation about uh, sexuality. And uh, the good thing about it is I've had so many uh, photos and emails and messages, including one from you, yeah. just saying how it helped start the conversation. But then from there on, as a follow-up conversation, you know, uh, and build that relationship, turning the hearts of the fathers back to the sons and the sons back to the fathers. What I've loved about it is it's, really opened the lines of communication in that area. Mm. So for me, I, I mean, like awkward, you know, you think, where do of you course. even start? Who do you, you know, like what, and, you know, I mean, you need some, like, you, you know, you've got, what are you allowed to tell them? What are you supposed to tell them? And you definitely in my mind's that, what thinking, you know, don't wake stuff up before it's time because man, it's hard enough being a teenage boy, let alone it's starting earlier than it has to. Yeah. And I'm just like, just someone give me some guidelines here. Like, you know, and, and, and I like the idea what you were talking about, how being that first uh that, that first voice, because that you know, there's you know, the studies show that the the first information we receive is actually, you know, basically what we log as the facts and everything's gotta compete with that if it's you know, gonna be accepted in our brains as the truth. So I was really keen to have it didn't have to be me really, but it was I wanted God's truth being the truth that was put there. Yeah. And, you know, you couldn't count on the school for that. And we shouldn't count on the school for that either. But um, I think, you know, that's the safe, by safe I mean the less awkward thing to do is just, you know, trust that health ed or the sex ed is going to do it at school. And But I knew that wasn't the answer. So when I've come across this book, you gave it to me. You came in, I think you preached at our church or you did something with our leaders and you gave it gave us this copy of this book um but i thought our boys were a little bit too young still so i held off until the right time when i you know well melissa was actually saying for a while jake if you really need to have that chat with them i'm thinking oh no they're just too, they're too young i don't want to like ruin their innocence and then finding out you know different comments or different questions you think no if i don't get in here now like now's the time so i think my oldest was seven no my oldest was eight and the the so I chatted with had both the boys. So the seven, he was seven and eight. They're eight and nine now. And mm. we got, you know some ice creams and sat down and went through it. And then just sort of and one of the things I was really uh, tried to be aware of is like not having things to be taboo because you know I don't want to put shame in the conversation and yeah you know because from what we understand shame's a massive part of like porn addiction and um or a lot of those lust problems that people have is there's a lot of it's tied to shame. I thought, no, if we can just keep it healthy, open conversations and talking about it in like I don't think God meant sex to be shameful. He like made it something beautiful and like, oh. um so I'm like, okay, going in, get my courage up. Like, got your book and I'm like, okay. Going through it with them and they're asking questions and I'm like <laughs> deep breath and trying to be normal and <laughs> You know, they're, they're asking about different things, and but some one of the things that really helped me was you were talk. You know, in in it, you you talk about some of the questions that you got asked, like you know, your kids are asking like, oh, how how often do you guys do it, and those things. So I was like, okay, right, well, I've got to be ready for that level of awkward. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and it really, but it really set us up for a great conversation. And now the boys will actually come and just ask me. And it's just like, I wouldn't say blase, but it's very natural, the conversations we have. And it comes up and like, it, you know, they feel safe to, to ask me those questions and, and they don't, they're not coming with shame attached to it. They're That's not, right. You know, they might understand that some privacy or it's a, you know, conversation just for us. But it, yeah, I, I just love the spirit that they're able to come in because we sat down and I don't think I would have been, I'll, I, 
I would hate to have had to have done it without without this book. So. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad it was helpful, mate. And I think as an author, you know, when you get feedback like that, and I've been privileged because I've probably received about maybe a hundred emails and text messages and photos and and stuff from fathers saying thank you, this is how we did the chat and what the book did and how my son's been able to ask some questions and, and you know, and, and, and I really believe it opens a door, a healthy door mm. for to come back throughout the rest of their life because you may not have the question, the answers to all their questions, but just being able to go to somebody and even articulate their questions uh, it's a big part of the healing process. And yeah. so if sons can go to their dad and find it as a safe place, uh, then, you know, together the two of you can really overcome any obstacle. And I think know? it sort of sets people up as well as you move forward. Like, you know, one of the things that you look at, like in the world, people have got no problem talking to each other about sex. Yeah. You know, like that's a norm, like a normal thing that people do. And you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it, and not always, you know, talking about the way it was designed. Yeah. But I find in church, we don't. And and then you see you've got men, basically, yeah. like, we've got questions, struggles, challenges, and, you know, we don't feel safe to talk about it with our mates in church. Um, you know, and this, I think, starting, like we you know, raising it from the ground up, because you're starting with young boys, but a culture where... No, we can have healthy conversations about sex. It's not shameful. You know, we can talk about the these things, and you know, in in the right, in 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 a, in a way that's healthy. And like, because we're guys, because one of the things we keep hearing about men is just we're so isolated. You're at work that's with other right. guys. You're at church with other guys. You've got brothers and stuff, but you're still so isolated because we keep so much stuff to ourselves. And I think. Um, a lot of it, I reckon, is because we don't know what we're supposed to be able to share, what we can't, you know, what we're allowed to. How is it supposed to work? And I think, um, you know, I'm looking at, at what you're doing here, and then you're setting a generation up for, like, just for some like healthy relationships. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I always think uh, I had this stat that you know the average guy thinks about or uh, about sex about. 20 to 30 times, you know, when he watches a TV ad or, you know, walks past the billboard or whatever, you know, 20 to 30 times a day on average, your mind thinks about something sexual or part of something sexual. And if you're thinking about that a lot and you don't actually have a place that you can go to to find answers or talk about it, then mm. it's really all in the dark. And when things are in the dark, um, it's really a bit of a devil's playground. So I think having healthy conversations uh, about sex, about sexuality, marriage, pornography, puberty, you know, all those things uh, with other godly people can actually really help you bring some light into those areas. Mm. And, um, and I think it really turn people's lives around. Yeah, I reckon full on. And even just knowing you can... Like, you know, like it's just like you're not trapped, just knowing you're not stuck, knowing that, hey, or, you know, we can, it's okay to talk about and um, people listen, people understand. I think we, uh, I did a, uh, when I was working at Teen Challenge, we used to take the guys through a, um, a series, what was it called? Uh, the Valiant Man series. Mm-hmm. And that, that was one of those things where it's just like all of a sudden guys could actually talk about what was really going on. You know, that you're talking about that. 20, 30 times a day, I think um, yeah. a lot of the feedback we would always get is like, you know, and the rest. Um, where, But where it's actually like we're able to be able to open those healthy lines of communication and, and really just set, like break the isolation that guys feel even when there's people all around us and, and just, yeah. you know, yeah, move, move it into a healthy space. And we're able to like, you know, get past that. Um, and I think it's like, and even really, I guess it can even come back down to what we're talking about with the leadership before, um, with the insecurities. It's just like actually being comfortable with who we are, knowing, hang on, 
you know, what I think, this is pretty normal. People, everyone goes through this. I'm not like some freak weirdo. Um, Absolutely. You know, I'm, you know, it's all these different aspects of our lives and actually, but when we can break that isolation, we find out, hang on, other people go through the same stuff I go through. We can, you know, I'm not alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, to be honest, mate, if, if you're going to be in a leadership position in the church, and, you know, uh, you're, you're dealing with people's lives to not cover their sexual lives, which is a big part of their relationship and their marriage, the big part of their thought processes mm. and what they think of their mind, you know, and even some of their behavior, sexual behavior. If you don't address that biblically, then you're not really truly discipling the whole person. Yeah. If all we talk about in church is prayer and Bible, which is important, mm. and, and uh, you know finance and, and relationships, and that's all good, and ignore sexuality, then seriously, we're, we're, we're missing the elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah, well, the TV, like how much of the TV is that, you know, they, they're dealing with sex, like, you know, it, it's a massive, like a massive chunk of people's brain space. Yeah. Like you don't, yeah, you don't have to go far before like the world's talking to people about it. Yes, that's right. Yeah, for us too. We're really passionate about marriage and family. Yeah, and so uh, even in a church, we talk about sex. But then Sunday, where we actually talk about sex, and we put the PG notice up on the on the on the screen <laughs> and say, "Look, if you're under twelve years old, you need to go to kids' church." But if you're over twelve years old, we need to talk to you about sex because not only you know, would you be thinking about it? But this is what the, the Bible talks so much about. I mean, the whole book of Summer Song yeah. talks about sexual relationships and and, and there's a whole book dedicated to it. Mm. You know, I think we just need to realize that... Um, God's not ashamed not, of it, is he? He's not embarrassed about it. That's exactly right. And, he, and he's got some wonderful advice and tips in there to actually help us have a great sex life. Um, and that's what the other thing we like to do. We do something called a marriage summit for our family. We've actually, Melissa and I, were, um, we, we went along to one of it. They're amazing. Yeah. Well, we're going to Bali next year, 2020, uh, with, you know, 50, 60 couples. And, wow. and we're, we, that's what we talk about. We actually talk about how to have a fulfilling sex life. Uh, along with things like communication and conflict management in a relationship, um, we always find that actually having that, that conversation around sex and having improving your sex life, it always seems to help the most amount of people because we don't talk about it enough. Mm. And even from my discussions, like, you know, as a pastor, couples don't talk about it. Like, it's something that, you know, like, there's where it's, you know, it's such a key part of the intimacy. Like you, you think about like um, how much the the world tries to make sex not about intimacy, which is obviously yeah. they're attacking the intimacy, which is the two becoming one in the most physical sense of it, and so many you know spiritual ramifications and emotional. Um, mm. Like, but even couples aren't talking about it because we're, we're something that we, I don't know, like, and I guess it's just the our culture says we don't talk about that stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's awesome. <laughs> I, I think that I think the church of the contemporary church mm. uh, will become irrelevant if we don't deal with the issues that our people are dealing with. Yeah, fully agree. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love that. Yeah, that's great. Um Cool. Yeah, someone was telling me they were at one of your conferences, the seminars, and the some of the the questions that came up were like, ah, you can't say that in church, or you can't talk about that in church, and you, not so much you can't, but like they'd never heard that in church. And um, absolutely, but I remember thinking it was like, what was that? The the couples had to get together and write down what was your favorite position or something. And um, you just sort of think about it, and it's like, okay, you should know that about your partner, but I bet you're like, loads and loads and loads of couples don't know those main, you know, real key parts of like a, of, you know, the most intimate thing that we do with each other, the closest we get. 
And yeah. it's, um, yeah, I thought, I thought, oh, these guys are crazy, but not in a bad way. Just like, oh, no, they're going there. Oh, someone had to, but gosh, wouldn't want to be the one that had to do it. <laughs> well, the speaker at that marriage summit, which is purely for married couples, yeah. um, uh, the speaker there was a sexologist, a Christian sexologist called Dr. Patricia Wirikun. And her whole, um, you know, so being a doctor and, she, she, everything is very practical and everything, you know, we would not even consider asking or talking about for her is quite open because, you know, this is just business. This is just life. Yeah. And uh, she just, just really encouraged our people to realize that you only have one marriage partner yeah. and you only have right now in this life for the rest of your life at least you know, well, while you're married to this person, just you should be the expert yeah. of their life. You, you only need to find out what they love and, and what is good for them and what blesses them. And so to just talk and encourage every spouse to become the sex expert for their spouse. Yeah, that's awesome. Because it's like, that, so go on. Yeah, and just that whole thing of listening and asking and, and knowing so that you get to a point where you are an expert over in one person's life. You're an expert to one person. Mm. And uh, I just thought that was a really beautiful concept. Imagine if you did your best to, to, to just know what your partner loved. Mm. And, uh, and that moves like out of the bedroom as well, doesn't it? Like, I love that thought of like, um, becoming an expert on your, on your, on your, like in our case, our wives, like actually, you know, like we get one wife, you know, and you get, you can either be someone who, like you get, like you know, you know the Homer Simpson picture, and this oaf that's basically, you know, or you can actually be someone who's the Prince Charming or the King in the Knight in Shining Armour. You've got like those. Like, and we can actually, if we spend the energy and the time and take the risks, we, we can be that person for our wives. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and emotionally, yeah. spiritually, physically, and sexually. Um, because obviously we understand that all those areas are connected and intertwined and they're, they're not separate. And, um, you know, just they're all, they all affect each other. Yeah, Do you know what I find like probably with the you know that side of things where you cannot like man you can you look at Homer Simpson and you think okay he hasn't <laughs> you know it it'd be pretty great in some ways to be like that you know just that bum that just uh, just gets everything done for him and all of that but it's yeah. um where you know where Jesus uh uh says that a man lays down his life for his um, part uh, for his, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friend. But then he's tell him in the gospel in the uh, letters it says how we're to love our wives like Christ loved the church, and Christ again laid down his life for the church. And that yeah. for me is where I, you know, because uh, we do or like I think maybe we give don't give ourselves enough credit for how well we do know our wives. You know, Absolutely. like it's oh you want a coffee. <laughs> There's only two people to make the coffee, and you know she wouldn't mind one either. It's like, oh, you know, being the one that actually does it, or those little, like, and for me, I think my biggest, uh, I don't know, holdback is like, well, what about me? And when we get like, is it just selfishness? Really, is like, and, and I think that's where I, I look at myself, but also, you know, I expect I'm not an isolated person. Um, you know that that what about me mindset it really restricts things in the in in being that champion for our wives yeah and because we do know so much about them and if we actually start to do what we know we you know you're halfway there absolutely sharon has this uh saying uh, obviously scripture but just outdoing one another with good works you yeah. know um, her goal is not to get her needs met her goal is to get my needs met, and mm. she wants to outdo me in in loving me, you yeah. know, and caring for me. And then my goal shouldn't be to get my needs met, and uh, but my goal should be to outdo her with good works and bless her, and you know, and and that's really how it's great marriages work, to be honest. Yeah, where 
an others focus rather than self focus because the moment you try to get stuff for yourself um you know it's the whole marriage starts to fall to bits yeah so you're finding yourself now like as someone who really is shaping a generation especially let's just say the state of western australia you're you're the leader of the second largest church movement in the state and you've got this heart for families and relationship and like how how much of it is so realistically we're looking at the things that you're doing are going to shape this generation but the the outworking is it's going to really give the next generation that really just a, a great platform to go from like how much of that in your is in your thinking like thinking of the generations and how much of it's just like you're doing things and it's like oh wow the, the generations are going to be blessed as well and, and like how where do you sort of i don't know in your thinking in your planning and stuff how much of it's thinking the generations and how much of the it's just the outcome is the generations being boosted yeah, look, I think obviously we, we, we need to do what we need to do on a daily basis, but we would be foolish to lose sight of generations and eternity in everything we do. Um, you know, uh, for us as a church, we, we want to do well to look after the people in our church now and the marriages in our church now, but at the same time we're saving up for buildings so that the next generation of church leaders will actually have buildings and land and finance and process and structures so that they can actually not have to start all over again or mm. start and fend for themselves, but they actually receive an inheritance. So yeah. legacy is a big part. Legacy is a really big part of everything we do. We always make decisions going, okay, it works now, but how will that go when we are four campuses? Or, you know, it works now with, you know, to 700 people, how will that work when it's 900 people, 1,000 people? Mm. I think we've always got to keep our eyes looking at the future, but also stewarding what we have right now. Yeah. Uh, it's a really funny balance. It's a tight rope that we've got to walk. You know, uh, If you constantly look at the future, you're not going to be happy with what you've got now, mm. and you won't look after the things that you have now because, you know, um, Everything starts small and, and then grows. But then if you only look at now, you'll consume the very resource that you need to, to keep uh, for the future. I'm always encouraged by the fact that, you know, um, David wanted to build a temple in the Bible, but he wasn't allowed to. Um, but he didn't stop because of that. He stored up to the temple, the Bible says. And he drew up the plans and he took the land and he cleared the land from all his enemies. And, and so when Solomon came on the scene as the king, he, even though he was young and the new generation, mm. he had a lot prepared for him so he could build on the legacy of his dad. Yeah, he had uh, everything he could but build it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. If David didn't do what he did, then Solomon could not have completed all that he did. Yeah. And Solomon was the greatest king in all the time and built the palace and the temple and just did some amazing things. But um, I believe that if David didn't clear the land, hmm. Solomon couldn't have built it. So, so you're, David um, sorry, go on. If David didn't do his job, then yeah. the next generation can't do this. So you're uh, Indian, Malaysian, or Malaysian Indian. Is there a particular way that's the right way to say that? Malaysian Indian. Malaysian. So uh, from my experience with Indian people, they're very generational in their thinking. Like they're they're big on inheritance. They're big on being wise with the next generation, setting them up well, um, and things like that, which is unfortunately is not a strong part of Australian culture. Um, how, yeah. how how much of that do you think's helped in your whole leadership development and your whole mindset? Like, how much of it do you reckon is actually just you could put it back down to your parents and and just really, I guess, their their what they passed down to you's even just exploded, really. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely a big cultural aspect to it. Um, Indians, especially Malaysians and Asians, African families, um, we generally live like a clan we live you know with grandparents and children all in the same house where yeah. else uh, sometimes western culture is a little bit different a bit more independent move out of home and live by yourself whereas for us growing up 
uh, in Malaysia, you know, we always had my grandparents live with us or relatives live with us or, you know, and even now in my home, Sharon and I, we've got our boys, our three boys, but we also have her parents living with us and they've been living with us now for seven or ten years or something like that. And we've also got people that live with us from our church because we're, we're, we're a bit more community, community uh, inclined yeah. in Asian culture. And, um, and so I think, yeah, with that, with the generations and, you know, looking at the bigger family, I, I would say, yeah, that, that's part of culture for us mm. to look at looking after the parents, so I guess looking after the, the young kids. It's not to say that that's not the case in other cultures, but a family is big, generation is big mm. uh, for our culture. Well, yeah, I think like it, 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 I'd, I'd be safe to say in some cultures it's not important. Like it's, you know, where you watch, I mean, I'm, I'm not, you obviously can't put a ruler across any particular people group, but you, you just certainly see like... Um, you know, when I was, a, um, you know, you see a lot of the guys come over from Asia and they, those parents would work so hard and they put their kids into private school purely mm. so these kids have got the best chance. You know, they're paying a massive price, whereas we see a lot of, it breaks my heart, where I see a caravan riding along where it says spending the kids' inheritance. Like, <laughs> you know, I just think, oh, I mean, <laughs> you know, like I see that and I just think that they're, you know, there's probably two polar opposite examples of, you know, how people thinking generationally and when yeah. i look at my parents I, I wouldn't want them to go without or to miss out at the expense of setting us up so but it's i just love the mindset that you know these people just love their kids so much that they're going to make sure that things are going to be the best possible you know they're going to get the best possible run at things where it sounds like that's a, a big part of the way you do church leadership as well where you um, and I just wonder how much of it actually came from your parents and the way they raised you. you know? Yeah, I've never thought of it, but I, I think you're right, though, Jacob, because we do always encourage, you know, families to sacrifice for the children in prayer, in giving, you know, in, mm. in making time. Uh, I think I think you're right. I never actually sat down and thought about the fact that it probably is something that's ingrained in me because that's how I was brought up, Yeah, you know. For me, that's very natural that um, parents, you know, uh, save up for their kids and then, you know, all that, all that you said. Mm. Um, and But I think it's also because I've experienced that generationally, you know, from my grandparents to my parents to my parents to me. So, so you're right, yeah, they definitely have shaped that culture. Yeah, wow, just the legacy's just like, I mean, I doubt, okay, they, they've paid the price leaving their home country to give you guys a better education, so they're thinking of that. Yeah. They couldn't have dreamt that by doing that, they're going to start a movement of churches and, and, and have someone that's impacting an entire state, like, you know. But that that's so cool that their, their uh, generosity and their generational yeah. thinking is just like hit the ground and exploded, hasn't it? So, yeah. Oh, look, it was absolutely sacrificial. I mean, my parents, my mum's a mum of 13 brothers and sisters, and my dad uh, is one of nine. And then there's all our cousins, and they, they left good-paying jobs. They yeah. left every family member they know, every friendship they knew, to come across to Australia where there was only one person that they knew. New culture, new country, no friends. And I think I, I recall very carefully, this is 1985, uh, for the first couple of months, every night, every night that we were in Australia, my mum cried herself. Gosh. You know, because she just felt so alone and had given up everything. And so I'm always in awe of my parents. And, and that was what for your had. education? Yeah, just for, for a better education. They gave up everything. And so, you know, they didn't obviously know the full extent that mm. that would lead to us coming here and finding Christ as a family and being planted in a great church and so grateful for the grace of God to get yeah. us to this place. Uh, but at the same time, it was this sacrifice. And a lot of my parenting uh, skills have come from my parents. Mm. Amazing. 
they just couldn't have known that's just but god god sees stuff hey so he won't i love that that's like um galatians uh, six where it says don't be a fool god can't be mocked like you know and it, it's just like god won't be mocked it's like you sow seed like that you, you're gonna get a harvest that's i love it i expect that um you know how you're putting that culture through your church that mm. it'll just be exponential even you know we're watching your church grow and thrive and do amazing things and it's footprint growing across uh, wa but um you know if you're setting the like for the generations you can only imagine what's going to happen when it's your boys leading the church or their generation at least leading the church um Absolutely. when you've got that seed sown because god won't be mocked will he that's right yeah absolutely Oh, that's cool. Hey, um, thanks so much for your time, Pastor Joel. Uh, um, out of time now, but uh, yeah, thank you very. I really, really appreciate. It. I know it's um a big deal for you to be able to block out an hour, so I'm really grateful you've done that. Thanks for that. And um, can we just get the details for your chat for the book for the chat? Um, so it's what's the website? And we'll put it in the notes below. But what's the website? Um, so it's thechatkidsbook.com. So www thechatkidsbook.com and Jacob I do appreciate this privilege I hope this podcast helps people especially men reach their full potential in God and uh, it's been a real honour to share oh thank you so much so that's thechatkidsbook.com alright but we'll have that link in the notes below um, cool oh, thanks so much Pastor Joel and uh, thank you guys so much for joining us I'll see you next time Thanks for listening to today's session. We hope you'll subscribe so you can receive the latest podcast to keep you inspired and encouraged all through the week. To help us continue to spread this message of hope with those all over the world, please visit purposeanddestiny.com.au slash partner or click on the link below in the description to give a gift today. Why don't you share this message with a friend and be sure to follow us on social media. I'm praying for you and I believe God's got amazing things in your future. I'll see you next time.